0: Hey everyone, please be advised that this episode contains discussions around spiritual abuse, religious trauma, and other sensitive topics. The content may be distressing or triggering for some individuals, so if you feel uncomfortable or find these discussions distressing, we invite you to prioritize your mental health and well-being, and consider skipping this episode. This is the Touchy Subjects Podcast. My name is Aaron Billings, and I am your host. This is an amazing episode with a fantastic panel of pastors and ex pastors. I have Andrew Blaylock, Brad Clausman, and Christopher Richardson, three of my dear friends and they have such amazing hearts for people. And I cannot wait for you to hear this episode on how even pastors deconstruct. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back. In today's episode, we're gonna be talking with three pastors. And I'm so excited for this conversation because I think it's important to know that even pastors deconstruct. Like I know that there's a stigma around deconstruction in the church. And today, hopefully we're going to rebut that because more than anything, I just want everyone to know that it is okay to ask questions. The Bible says to ask, seek, and knock. Therefore that's telling me that it is perfectly okay to not have all the answers, and to be able to talk about these things in a way that will hopefully make church a safer place for everyone. So first, I just want to have everybody introduce themselves just so that they can hear your different backgrounds because I've chosen you guys very intentionally and you're all kind of on different spots on the deconstruction spectrum. So Brad, why don't I have you go first?
1: Obviously, my name is Brad. I am a former Southern Baptist pastor of 20 plus years who is deconstructed and now I am a
2: deacon coach.
0: And Christopher, why don't you go next?
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Christopher Richardson. I am an Episcopal priest. I also have a computer engineering degree. Uh, and so I bring kind of the science and technology and theology all uh, mixed into one crazy person. I love person. that.
0: Everybody needs a good <laughs> tech person in their life, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I get to do that for my church.
0: Andrew, how about you?
2: Hi, guys.
3: I'm Andrew Blaylock. I'm a Pastor, my worship pastor at a non-denominational church. I'm from a Pentecostal background, born and raised, third generation Pentecostal preacher's kid.
0: Amen, and, brother. Uh,
3: yeah, I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm uh, right. Yeah, I'm glad to be here.
0: So, full disclaimer: Andrew and I went to college together, and we have made lots of music together. Andrew's an amazing yes. singer and musician. You should check out his music. And I'm just thankful to have you guys here. You are three upstanding humans and just happen to also be pastors or ex-pastors, as the case may be. The first thing I think I want to say is that pastors are human, and that's something that needs to be said. You know, I've had some bad experiences with pastors, clearly, and (laughs) that's something that I have to continually remind myself of is that they're human too. Everybody makes mistakes. So Christopher brought up before we hopped on the call, he was like, okay, so what is the definition of deconstruction that we're going to be using for this conversation? So Brad, can you give everybody an overview just in case there's folks out there that aren't sure what it means?
1: Sure. I mean, Obviously, when you talk about deconstruction, it's a very wide and uh, broad topic. It's simply just to really kind of just break it all the way down, just to, the unpacking, the tearing apart your previous and what your faith stood for, how it's impacted your life. Does it control or shape your life? And so you find people there deconstructing are merely looking at, hey, do I still believe what I believe? And can I do this in a safe environment without losing everything? Yes. And so that's kind of a very broad, very simplistic definition of it.
0: And I love it. Something that I share with a lot of people is that I believe that deconstruction is a spectrum and people land in different spots on that spectrum. Just to give context to our guests, Andrew is currently working in church. Christopher is a priest at church. And then Brad is an ex-pastor. And so there's different levels to this. And one thing that I think about, I think I started deconstructing well before I left the church. I just didn't even know it. And honestly, I think there's a lot of people out there that have already started deconstructing and it hasn't hit their awareness and then there's people that I think they know deep down that they're deconstructing, but because there's such a stigma in the church around it, you know, they're, they're not willing to talk about it. Why do you think that deconstruction has such a negative stigma in the church? Andrew, I'll start with you.
3: Well, I think that it's because it depends on, in, in the church, the idea is that we have the answers to life's questions, right? Like you come to church because you've got questions about life. You know, the classic religious question, why do bad things happen to good people? Where do we go when we die? All of these questions, that's what the church is, is known to be for, is to answer these questions. And so when we as pastors realize we don't have the answers to those questions, actually, we, we aren't sure if we can even arrive at a a proper answer or we just start even having those questions ourselves um, in the church, you know, when you start asking those questions upward, it can get really hairy really quick Mm -hmm. if the people above you haven't really come to grips with the answers to those questions themselves or haven't taken time to really thoughtfully consider it. And so for me, I think the stigma that's that's around it is just People are scared of not having the answers to those big questions in the context of a church. It's normal to not have answers to those questions. But in the church, we've been told this idea that we're supposed to have all of the answers when, and we just
2: don't, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah, I think it's a lot of ego. Yeah. Christopher, do you have anything you'd like to add to that?
2: Yeah, I think for me, the stigma comes from this idea that kind of expanding on um, what was said already, not just that we don't have the answers, but if we don't have the answers to this, to these questions, what other questions do we not have the answer to? Mm -hmm. And if we are wrong about something, what if we are wrong about these other things? And so what if the entire premise of our religion, of our institution? What if the entire premise is wrong and people don't want to go to that place? And so they avoid going to that place and kind of look down on anyone who might potentially take them down that path.
0: Very well said. I agree with that. And I honestly had not thought about it that way. Brad, do you have anything to add?
1: Yeah, that was outstanding by both of you as well. I love those answers. In my experience, and remember, I come from a Southern Baptist background, so everything's allowed to be asked within a box. Ooh. You don't ask anything outside of that box, or else you're ashamed to move back into the box. I think the gentleman, are correct one, says, hey, listen, people fear what they don't know or what they can't answer. And especially in America, we're very good at bullet points and putting things in some sort of structure to make us feel better about that. Whereas you look overseas and you've got God described as an ever-flowing stream or a rock. It's more vague, you know, and, and so forth and so on. So I don't think people want to know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a lot of times. I mean, when I left the church, nobody wanted to reach out and ask me why. It's that fear of, well, if the pastor doesn't know, <laughs> what's this going to do to my faith, right? I mean, like, how's this going to impact me? Or what did he find out that I don't know, right? <laughs> and it doesn't have to be that way. And so I think there is a a fear. I think there is an ego that far too long there have been a a group of religious people that have given very vague answers or said, this is it. You just got to believe it without diving into the heart of it and saying, hey, I don't know. But let's look at some things, you know, let's let's explore some things. And it's okay if we don't know everything about God.
0: I think that's really true. What I would like to do is have you all share your deconstruction journey so, Brad, since you've already kind of shared a little bit, why don't you go first and share?
1: Okay. So, grew up, groomed to be a, a pastor from a very young age, asked Jesus in age, at the age of eight, into my heart, called into ministry, you know, went to Christian college, got my, you know, biblical studies degree, went to seminary, got my master's. And around 2003, I started asking questions. And the struggle with that was the fact because when you're a pastor, when you start asking questions, it's not safe to vocalize that you're asking questions within anywhere of the church, uh, especially when you're talking about Southern Baptist. And so I started asking questions about, you know, the sovereignty of God and a plan and predestination. I didn't like the way women were treated within the church, especially Southern Baptist and misogyny that goes on there. I didn't agree with the way the, the LGBTQ plus was treated and, and then loved, to be quite frank, within the church. And then not long after that, through my own personal study and doing my own work behind the scenes, my daughter came out in small group on a Sunday morning as a lesbian at the age of 11. I had no idea, right? So all these people are coming up to me and going, hey, we're praying for her, we're going to fix her. You know, stuff like that. And I knew right then and there I had a, a decision to make.
0: Yeah.
1: Am I going to support my daughter and lose my job, or am I going to support the church and potentially lose my daughter? And so I chose my daughter. I walked away, and I started reading all the things that I was always told not to read. I believe in in school it was taught that, hey, these are the white hat people you read, and these are the black hat people you read. And I just blew my mind when it came right down to it. And so I started research. I took a year, went to counseling and discovered, hey, you know, more people need to have the safe space to go through their deconstruction process and not feel the shame or guilt as badly. Because I personally am one that understood and knew that as soon as I did that, I would lose family members. Like my mom hasn't talked to me in three years. I lost everybody but three friends from college and all the way up because they didn't know how to deal with it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like I'm now going to hell but I would do it again because of my daughter. So now I try to help people that are in that state of transition. And and I don't I don't tell them where to land. I want them much like uh, Aaron said before, it's a spectrum. Some of my clients go right back in the church. It's a different denomination. Some of them become agnostic, spiritual, some atheist. I don't care. I just want them to have a safe space to deconstruct.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. The way that I've structured this podcast, I never want to tell somebody what they should believe. I believe that you have to come to that on your own. That's very important to me. You've been on the podcast before, so a lot of people have already heard your story, but I want to reemphasize this, that you made the right choice by choosing your daughter. And I also want to acknowledge the fact that not every pastor would make the same decision. So... That just shows how much integrity you have and I wanna acknowledge that. Christopher, would you mind going next?
2: Yeah. First echoing that supporting your daughter in that is phenomenal and is a huge sign of your ability to uh be able to think about what was going on and make that choice that oh I wanna I wanna support my daughter and if I can't support my daughter in this then maybe this isn't for me. And so I'm probably a bit of an anomaly in this conversation because I'm from the Episcopal Church uh, and we're kind of known as the church that asks questions all the time. And the, the late Robin Williams was an Episcopalian. And back in, I think 2002, he did a comedy special where he did top 10 reasons to be an Episcopalian. And two of them are kind of pertinent to this conversation. One is you don't have to check your brains at the door and another one was, no matter what you believe, there's bound to be at least one other Episcopalian who believes the same thing. <laughs> and so we just come from, uh, my tradition is very much a an open tradition. Uh, and the idea of questioning faith was instilled at me at a very young age. We don't always do a great job of encouraging it in the church. We do have the the teachings of the church and we kind of say like, this is what the church believes, this is what we do. And as a kid, kind of, this is what my priest said, so I believed what he said. And when I went off to seminary and I started studying theology more intensely and I started doing more intense Bible study where I'm actually looking at the original Hebrew and Greek and uh, historical critical analysis, I'm not just reading an English translation of the Bible and making inferences based on what's there. And I got to a point where I was thinking, like, I don't think I can do this priest thing because I just don't, I don't understand any of this. My brain is much too logical. I have, again, I have an engineering background, I think, and ones and zeros. And I would go through this. And it wasn't until one of my theology professors said, Christopher, you need to stop saying you don't understand it you just disagree with what this theologian is saying. You understand what's going on perfectly. You just disagree with him. And this is the same argument that this group of people used. And it was that moment. It was like, oh, so yeah, I can disagree with it and just think that this is a silly thing for people to believe and I don't have to believe it. Uh, And so that was kind of a a wonderful aha (laughs) moment for me. And I just like to, to bring that into what I do and just to, help people be who they are, where they are in their spiritual journey. Not everyone is called to be a priest, so not everyone needs to be where I am in my faith journey. And just kind of wherever people are, that's where I wanna meet them.
0: I love that, I really do love that because that's a key element that is missing in the church is meeting people where they are. Thank you for sharing that. Andrew, can't wait to hear yours. Because I haven't heard it yet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so my deconstruction happened while I, it started when I was at Lee University, and actually, we were there together. And it happened, I was sitting in an, our Old Testament survey class, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there listening to an amazing professor. I don't remember his last name, but I remember his name was Brian, Dr. Brian, and he was from Emory, and he was teaching about the Bible, and he was teaching us about the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah uh, showing us all of these literary devices that were being used, comedy, tragedy, uh, just pointing out all of these different things I had never even known were in there. And then he starts showing that the author used this story, crafted this story to make this huge point to the Jewish people. And I just remember leaving that class thinking, it's not historical. Like, <laughs> this is not a history story. I had been told my whole life that the Bible was a historical account of all of these different things that had happened, and yet this guy's pointing out all these obvious literary devices. And it was the beginning of the thread that pulled in my life because I had been given this version of the Bible that was like the magic book. It's this magic book that fell from heaven. It is the word of God. And I had obviously had questions throughout my life, but that was the first time someone like, Pulled the curtain back and is like, check this out. I'll never forget the way I felt when I left that class. I remember talking to my parents about it and they're like, whoa, wait a second. What what are we talking about now? So I learned from those initial conversations like, okay, not everybody's ready for this conversation. And I continued to have my own questions and I started studying the Bible more intensely in a good way, in a way that approaches it just from a different perspective, you know, from approaching it as a, as a book of, uh, of what it is. It's a collection of poems and stories and, um, and his, some his historical writings. And so as I started approaching it that way, I just started having a lot more questions. Over this period of time, I graduated college. I was now a music minister at my parents' church, very Pentecostal, very traditional Pentecostal church. And I uh, just continued to, um, to build these questions Meanwhile, I'm seeing God do some amazing things in my life, in my friends' lives, but yet I still have all these questions. But eventually, all of these questions just weighed on me so heavily, and I felt this, I really landed in a really a dark night of the soul. That's the best way I know to describe it. It's kind of a classic definition of deconstruction uh, before we had the term deconstruction. Mm -hmm. And so I I started deconstructing my faith, tearing everything apart, but I didn't have anybody to talk to because I realized the more I talked to people about it, the more they were like, I don't know if I can have this conversation. The only place I had that I really felt safe was talking to my wife. Um, I remember Amber would just, I would I would be crying. I would be just, just so depressed because I felt like I was losing my faith. Because everyone around me, it's all about just having faith. Just have faith. Just have faith. Just believe it. It's the word of God. Just believe it. Don't question, just, like the the more I questioned it, the more I felt like a heretic. The more I questioned it, the more I felt like an outcast. I felt like I didn't belong in my profession. I didn't belong in my family. I didn't belong in my church family because I was the black sheep, the more I questioned. And so I, Amber, I remember one night I was, I was thinking, I, I guess I'm an atheist. Like I don't even know what I am anymore. I don't believe, I can't. I was on this edge and I just remember feeling the Holy Spirit just kind of saying like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like, it's it's okay. And I just realized at that point, like, it's okay for me to have these questions. And God's not scared of my questions. Other people might be scared of them, but He's not. And if I can just truly just rest in that and just knowing that He's okay with it. He created me with the brain to think. He created me in this time where we have all of these resources and science to ask new questions about God in the Bible. Like, it's okay to think and have all of this. And so from there I began to reestablish my faith and really kind of where I landed was a place where this is a formula that I kind of came up with. I don't, I hope, maybe this will help somebody, but this is something that I realized like one is I didn't create myself, right? Like I didn't do that. I didn't just think, Oh, I'm going to be, and now here I am. Right? No, we, I believe I have a creator. I don't believe I just came from nothing as, as atheism would believe. I believe that there is a creator, And everything, there's a design. You look around, it's like, okay, it just makes sense that there's a design to me. now For somebody else, if you don't see that, that's okay. But yeah, I believe, I didn't create me. I see that there's a design. And the other thing that I know is that following the teachings of Jesus has always led my life to the best place. Like that is the thing that, and I just told myself, you know, on the days when I can't necessarily have faith that Jesus died and rose from the grave, like on the days when I can't have faith that what I'm reading in the Bible is is historical fact or or factually true, on those days where my faith is is waning, I can rest in knowing that there's a creator, I have a designer, and that if I follow the teachings of Jesus and lay my life down for others, I'm going to be the most fulfilled. That will get me through my worst days of faith. And that that was such a kind of a bedrock moment for me just saying, okay, this is... This is my new bare minimum. And whether if I stumble on something in the Bible, because I got to the point I was scared to read the Bible, like literally scared to read the Bible. And I'm a pastor. <laughs> and over a period of years, I would get into it and then I'd have to back off and I'd get into it and then i have to back off. And so once I found that kind of bedrock, I said, okay, nothing can shake this, this thing that I know, right? Then then from there, I can find my faith. And that's what's happened. I found this richer, better faith But the crazy part and why we're here is I didn't have anybody to talk to about this stuff, except for my wife, who just she uh, she grew up Lutheran. And so uh, very, you know, they're kind of next door neighbors to the Episcopalian. So questions (laughs) of faith were uh, more tolerated. So she wasn't bothered by it. And so that was a huge blessing for me and that she wasn't she was she was worried about me because of me, but she wasn't too worried about the whole situation. And so I had that person there. But, you know, I, I I do. That, that's kind of part of my story is that I just, I didn't know I was deconstructing. I didn't have a term for it. And through a long period of, of, of walking through that and then finding things like, and we'll talk more about resources, but like the liturgist podcast. And there's some other things that were just really important that came in as like, okay, I'm okay. I'm not alone. Like, <laughs> like there are other people out here that have gone through this. And so that that's, that's my story.
0: Thank you for sharing. I think that especially what you were talking about old testament class at lee university so just for context for people that didn't attend lee everybody who graduates from lee graduates with a minor in bible so we all had to take message of the new testament message of the old testament theology christian ethics and capstone so that you can get your minor in bible well there's this long-standing joke that anybody who goes to the theology department comes out an atheist (laughs) And I think there's reasons for that. But I, I do think, you know, now that you mention it, I remember starting to question things back when I was in school, not because of the Bible classes, but because of the social constructs of being a woman in a ministerial field, if that makes any sense. As somebody who was a church music major, I couldn't get the mentorship that I really wanted because I was female and there wasn't very many female professors or leaders that were experts in my area. And so I remember that for me was one of the, as you said, the strings that kind of pulled because it was like, why can women not hold places of leadership in the church? Why is there this caste system that puts women as a second-class citizen in the church, Mm -hmm. which is still a big issue for me that I'm currently working through. However, I did get out of school. I did go into ministry and the deconstruction process just got worse for me. And what I found is that Churches are not very well set up for resources for ministers. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's no mandated HR for every individual church. That's a huge point of contention for me. And uh, Christopher, I'm going to start with you on this one, because the Episcopalian church has been around a lot longer than the non-denominational churches and evangelical churches. What resources do you guys have within the Episcopalian church that might assist ministers that need help, whether it be deconstruction, mental health, all of those kind of things?
2: Before I go, I want to touch on one thing that Andrew said that really jumped out at me, uh, and it was that when you follow the teachings of Jesus, you end up in the best places. And it strikes me because this may be me reading into what you were saying, but I I heard an intentionality in the teachings of Jesus versus the teaching of the church. And I think our society tends to conflate those two. And even in my own church, I have some issues where I think, well, maybe the teaching of the church is not... The same as the teaching of Jesus. And so I think that ability to distinguish the teaching of Jesus from the teaching of the church, knowing that the the church is a man-made institution and as such is inherently flawed. And so I just wanted to say, like, I really appreciated that the way you phrased that, whether it was intentional or not, uh, it spoke to me, it spoke to my soul when you said that. And then what the Episcopal Church has to offer is we are a very structured church. And so uh, we don't have individual HR departments for each church, uh, but our churches are grouped into what's called a diocese, which is a collection, a large collection of churches. And our diocese has an HR department that oversees all of the clergy in the diocese. And my diocese has 73 churches. So there's an HR department that kind of oversees all of that. And there's like five or six people in this HR department. And if I have a question about anything related to that, I can reach out to them and they'll help me out. We encourage continual education and in our our letters of agreement, uh, effectively our job contracts, they put in there, like, you got to have two weeks of continuing education a year. And here's how much the church has to pay into that continuing education. There's recommended sabbaticals where after uh, four years of serving in a parish, uh, you can take an extended vacation. And it's encouraged that you do something that enhances your ministry on that vacation, you do some research project, you do something that feeds your spirituality, uh, and you can get up to three months off for a sabbatical. Uh, You have to wait seven years to get to the three month point. But there's just a whole lot of things that are just built into the structure of the church. And we have uh, the Episcopal church comes from the word, the Episcopal just means we are a church that has bishops. And so our bishops really help provide the structure, provide the resources uh, and say, hey, here are things that are good for clergy to be doing. And they are kind of the, the priest of the priests and the deacons as well, which is another order of ministry in the church. But yeah, that structure is really what helps me, again, to have that safe space where I can ask those questions where we are regularly encouraged to go to conferences with other clergy, where we can ask these questions with one another. And we just spend a lot of time just thinking, and sometimes we just think of questions to ask, like what what questions can we ask? Let's just look at this, look at it this way. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I've always kind of seen the more liturgical churches as definitely more structured. And that is something that me, as a logical brained person really loves, because I think that those structures need to be there. And given my experience working in the church, if they would have had structures, it could have prevented so many different issues. But that's something that I'm gonna be fighting for and advocating for in the non-denominational space. Andrew, what resources have you found to be helpful?
3: Um, So the resources that have really helped me the most, a a foundational book for me was Rob Bell's What is the Bible? Now, Rob Bell at this point had already been labeled a heretic by most of the Christian world. But I was just, I saw the title, What is the Bible? I was like, I wonder what he thinks. And I started listening to that book. And really, it's a lot of rambling, but it's a lot of rambling that made so much sense to me (laughs) in that season of questioning, what is the Bible? And in that book, he really brings this this fresh perspective that I needed. it was—it It is where I had landed already, but it just confirmed like it's okay to read into the Bible and read that layer deeper because that's where the richness of it is. And it's, it's okay that you don't think of it as the magic book that fell down from heaven. And that also leads to Andy Stanley just released a book called Irresistible and that's pretty much the whole thing is like you don't have to look at the if you will unhitch the teachings of jesus from the rest of the bible and just lean into that doesn't mean the rest of the bible doesn't have truth in it doesn't mean that there's not historical fact it's just that he looks at the church before we had the collection of what we call the bible and it grew exponentially faster than when we strapped the church to the bible now i wanted to caveat i love the bible i hope you can hear that in my tone But I just, I love it because I've wrestled with it so much and I continue to wrestle with it. And that book is about helping the church learn to wrestle with it well. Uh, And the other thing that really helped me before any of that was there's a podcast called The Liturgist Podcast. And I got in with those guys pretty early in their journey. Um, It's uh, a guy called Science Mike and then uh, founded by a guy named Michael Gunger. And I had been a huge Michael Gunger fan being a worship pastor. And I love his music, still love his music to this day. Mm-hmm. And these guys were deconstructing on this podcast, pretty much live, like as it's going, it's like you didn't know what they were going to say week to week. You didn't know what state of mind they were coming in. And but they had some incredible stories of God encountering them as they went through this process. And I just remember feeling so comforted by listening to people who were wrestling with the same things I was wrestling with, people who had been in ministry. They'd been on the biggest stages and behind the biggest curtains in Christian world, you know, in Christendom. And so they're here wrestling with these things. And so, you know, fair warning, like that, that podcast is a mixed bag. You don't know what you're (laughs) going to get week to week when you're tuning in. But if you need some comfort knowing you're not alone in your questions, it's it's, it was a huge help for me.
0: I have not listened to it, although I do love Michael Gunger. I should check it out. (laughs) Brad, I'm going to ask you this question a little bit differently what resources do you wish would have been there when you were in your situation leaving your church? Because that's the way I think of it, since I've left the church as well. So I just wondered if maybe you had an idea of your own.
1: Man, you know, I had a great answer for the other question, but well, you know, I'll go spur the moment here.
0: <laughs> you, you can answer that one kidding. too, I don't care. <laughs>
1: I'm just playing no, that's a that's actually a fabulous question. And I think you can combine the two actually because what I wish I'd had um when I was deconstructing and what I hear my clients as well as other people that are in the deconstruction community on IG was they wish they had the resources provided that didn't just have the doctrines and the Hey, this is the history of the church, and so forth and so on. To piggyback off what these two gentlemen said, and and I love I love what Andrew said about Jesus, right? People end up in the deconstruction community actually liking Jesus more, I think, now than they did when they were in the church. I agree, right? Because they take that step back and they go, okay, all right, Jesus is okay. I don't agree with the other, the whole church is doing though with Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know? And so when it comes to resources for people that are deconstructing, they are really looking for things that number one are safe. Number two, don't have an agenda driven, if that's even possible, right? They're looking for counselors that are not necessarily religious counselors because they don't trust them. Right. They, they don't trust that there's not some ulterior motive underneath to get them to where they think they should go. Right. And so they're they're actually looking, hey, can I get an atheist counselor that doesn't care? Right. They're, they're looking for genuine Christians that are willing to have conversations or coffee with them that actually love them for them and not what they do.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. That that community that they lose when they walk out right they're looking for all of those things and they find it not within the church they find it in communities like an ig or sometimes facebook or whatever have you because those people that have come through this are now providing resources for them to read right so like case an example um tears of eden i don't know if you've seen that on ig Mm -hmm. Uh, they've recently asked me to be on the board and i love their mission because they just want to provide resources for those that have experienced spiritual abuse. Wouldn't it be great as believers to feel like you had somebody in your corner supporting you through what you consider to be spiritual abuse, showing you the love of Jesus, right, and guiding you through that instead of feeling like you have to totally push the church off, Right. And separate yourself from the church in order to heal. So I, I think having certain counseling set up, I think that having those open conversations, I'm encouraged by what these two gentlemen have said and um, with the way their church is run, with the way they they're open heart and open mind minded um, as well. Because even though they like the Jesus when they leave, one of their main struggles is how do I know Jesus's sayings are actually true and not just made up? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are questions and those are serious questions where if you ask that in a church, your resources, you're wrong and you're going to hell. Right. I mean, you're shut down. Yeah. So maybe more open forums, more personal contact. But right now, it seems like the people that are giving the resources for the deconstruction community are those that are no longer in the church. And I think the church is missing an incredible opportunity for healing. And open conversation and showing that the church doesn't have to be non-intellectual as a lot of people outside of the church view it, but that they can be very intellectual as well.
3: I just I love all of that. And and you saying that, you know, there's such a need for a group of people that have been through something like this to whenever you find those people who have deconstructed or you find those people with those big questions to just wrap your arms around and say, it's okay, like you said, go into a coffee shop and just having, like, man, lay on me all your questions. I don't have the answers. I'll go ahead and tell you, but I'm here for it. Like, I'm here for you. And I love you as a person, not because you've got life figured out or you've got your ministry figured out, but, but I'm here for you just because you're a human. You know, and the idea of divorcing the intellectual from the, the spiritual, you know, what I discovered through this whole process was I'm not going to answer all the questions. (laughs) And the reason is, is because I'm required to have faith, right? Like that's it. That was the whole thing for me is I, at, at the bottom of all my questions, I found out that I needed faith. And that is, that is such a, a a beautiful thing. And then that's also the terrifying thing. But because before that, it was just this blind faith. Like I had never peeled down and I was, I'm believing it because yeah, the the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. Like that might work for somebody, but that doesn't work for me. Right. I had to dig in and I had to see what is this thing actually standing on? What, what are these teachings of Jesus? Like you said, or is this what Jesus actually said? My wife and I were having this conversation earlier, like, like, You have to, at some level, you're going to have to have faith, no matter whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian, you've got to believe in something you can't see. You've got to believe, and we we assume things we don't see all the time. So at the bottom of this whole deconstruction thing is, yes, break it down, but at the end of the day, you've got to have faith in something. And I wish the church had more of a space for people to really dig into those questions and to to, to, to provide those resources. I wanted to throw this in. Y'all both mentioned the idea of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, Andy Stanley in this book, Irresistible says most people fall out of love with the church, but they still have a crush on Jesus. <laughs> and that's been, that's been such a definition that I've held onto. It's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's where I'm at. And that's where I've been. And I still, I still love the church and I still have great hope for it, but I think we can resource it better.
1: Andrew, I think you're, I think you're incredibly accurate on the, on what Andy said as well, because my clients, they a lot of times end up spiritual, but they still, let's say, pray to Jesus or they still love his teachings. Right. And they still try to follow his teaching somewhat. They incorporate other things into, you know, their belief system and their faith system. But you're right. I don't, Jesus doesn't necessarily fall out of favor. He gets blamed for things Mm -hmm. that really he shouldn't get blamed for. Right. But, but he doesn't really fall out of favor with people, even after they leave the church.
0: Yeah. And honestly, that's where I am on my deconstruction journey is I still have my faith in Jesus. That's something that Brad taught me that I think is poignant in this conversation is you can't always just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Whenever you get hurt, whenever there's spiritual abuse, abuse is, is never your fault, but, we do have to kind of inspect internally and really get down to, okay, so what do I believe? Let's take out all of the Christianese. Let's take out all of the religious constructs. What do I believe? What feels right inside? And go with that and be okay with it. Because ultimately, Your relationship with God is between you and God and nobody else. Uh, It can affect marriages. So, you know, in Andrew's case, I'm so glad that he had Amber. But outside of that, you know, you, you will lose people to, you know, piggyback on what Brad said. I'm very thankful that my family has been very supportive because I know that not all families are in this case. Anybody have anything to add?
2: I'll just add that the topic that keeps coming up over and over again in our conversation is community. And at the heart of the teachings of Jesus, it's all about being in community with one another and, and the the bare bones teachings of Jesus, there are two things we got to do. We love God and we love each other. And that's about being in community with God and being in community with one another. Uh, And having a community that allows us to feel like we belong, that we can find our place in, that doesn't say that we have to become something that we are not or something that we are not comfortable with, but something that says, at this very moment, you are part of the community, 100%. And you don't have to make a statement of belief. You don't have to proclaim anything. You don't have to believe a specific thing. You can be a part of this community at this very moment, just as you are. And then together we can go on this journey and figure out where you are, where you fit in, where you feel you're going. Uh, And everyone's called to go in different directions, but for a time, let's walk together on this road. Let's be in community and let's just uh, figure this thing out together.
0: I love that. I think that's great. You know, I really only have one more question, but I feel like it's already pretty well been answered, but in case anybody has anything they want to add about how the church can create a safe space for any Christian to deconstruct in a healthy way, anybody have anything to add in this?
3: It's the tall order because you're people are at such different levels. To have a safe space for someone to deconstruct, I think a church has to be intentional in approaching it. And that's that's my beef with this whole deconstruction movement. Um, you know, I deconstructed before I had the term deconstruction. I learned that through the Liturgist podcast, that there was a term <laughs> for it, you know. And the problem is, it's I think Brian alluded to this, it gets hijacked uh, and it gets moved into a direction of really extremes and trying to deconstruct just like everything, you know. And the church gets scared of that if the church could instead of pushing it away i can't tell you how many times i've seen a friend a pastor friend post about all the evils of deconstruction, or the dangers of deconstruction, they're posting all these warning signs about it. And as someone who has been through the process, I'm like, you are pushing these people away from your church because they need you, Pastor. They mm-hmm. need you to just say, "God loves you and your questions. That's enough. That's all, that really, if the church could just start adopting that, like God loves you, and he loves your questions. and 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 that's like just that idea, you know,, I, I've been thinking through recently this idea of what Jesus says to Peter. And he says, it's one of the last things he says to Peter. He says, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. It says it to him. And it's just been ringing in my soul of like, okay, what is Peter supposed to be feeding these sheep? because a lot of times I feel like our churches are not actually feeding their sheep. They're asking the sheep to feed them, like bring more people, bring your friends, like, like fill the pews, like feed us. Right. But instead we as pastors need to be in what is the need of the church right now? What are these people hungry for? They're hungry for someone to say, God loves you and your questions. And so if we can feed them that love, in the midst of doubt, the whole thing is making space for doubt because doubt is the jumping off point of faith. If people will quit fearing the idea of doubt and instead embrace it saying, oh, you've got doubts, welcome to the club. We do too, but we bring our doubts to this place where we jump off in faith. And you leveraging that doubt that we're seeing across the board in Christianity, people who have, have, have started to doubt the church, Instead of, and and take those doubts in the church and put them to where they're jumping off into faith in Christ, which will then bring about more faith in the church to do its job, which is to feed the sheep. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but it's, it's what's been working around in my brain as far as what we can do as a church we just we got to meet people where they are and where they are there's a reason this is happening on a massive scale it's because of where we are in history and the church has a reckoning either we either we are, stick our heads in the sand or else we raise our heads up and we say okay how can we feed the sheep the way jesus has asked us to
0: preach andrew
1: i agree with andrew and as far as that i'm going to take it from a different direction from what i hear from the deconstruction community and you're right deconstruction is a term I I grew up in the eighties and, and so it was more like turn or burn, die, you know, (laughs) stuff like that wasn't, you know, there's, there's no no purity culture or anything. It was just, you do this or you die. So deconstruction wasn't something that was a terminology necessarily, you know, but I like the idea that for people that are deconstructing what they want to do or what they want to see is much like. Maybe what Christopher was mentioning before, they want to see the church held accountable and take ownership for the lack of structure for those that have been gaslit, abused, anything like that. Listen, if the church came through and they said, hey, listen, we will we will entertain all your doubts, concerns, we want to have these conversations, great— but the people that are coming out of the church in the deconstruction are more like, why won't the church do anything? Why won't they hold people like the Southern Baptist, for instance, and they're the releasing of of all the stuff they kept hidden, right? Why why won't they do this? It's just controlling, manipulative. That's how they see things, right? And and I think that they're right and accurate on a lot of it. And so they want the abuse, the gaslighting, and the structure changed before they're going to listen to a church saying, Hey, come bring your doubts. We'll accept you. They're too hurt already by what has transpired. I, I think you have to first do the, yeah, it needs to be fixed. We screwed up here and this is what we're doing to fix it and change it. And we're for you. We're not for our leadership. Primarily. We're not trying to cover their backs. We're here to love you and welcome you in our community and answer the doubts. And not, well, not answer, but have conversation about the doubts. And we're not, we're not scared of you having your doubts. And, and we just, we're here, right? I think that would, that would model Jesus. I think that would also help to break down some of the walls in the deconstruction community they have, because like you said, they don't have the resources in the churches right now, a lot of churches, not all of them. But a lot of churches and so what they see on tv as well the the ones that bark the loudest mm-hmm. are so negative and and everything bad in the news they don't see the good so if, if the church could have a unified front and say hey listen we we messed up like the catholic church if they could just say hey yeah we got issues <laughs> you know with our priests and little boys right i mean seriously speaking yeah. you know i think that needs to, to happen first in my mind, for them to be able to trust the other process of saying, Hey, I'm welcome. I can bring my doubts. But that's just my personal opinion. I, I
3: I'm sorry, can I, I just, I agree ahead. with you hundred percent. And you saying that is so true. The question becomes, when I was, what, what I was saying was like, if we can adopt as a stance that questions are okay. But then I think mm-hmm. what you're saying, going even further, just being honest, honest about where we are as a church being honest, because the problem is, like you like you mentioned, this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning with ego. It's this idea that, let's say I am the pastor of the church and we have a specific stance that you might not agree with. There is a point that the church has to say, this is what we believe on something, right? And so we have to have this agreement. This is what we as a body believe And it's up to that person, whether they want to be a part of that, that church that claims that they believe that or not, while they might not have to hold that belief, there just is this reckoning. And so, you know, obviously there's universalist churches where you can believe whatever you want to, and that's what's encouraged, you know, but for us as Christian churches, there are going to be areas where we disagree and there are going to be areas where we have to draw that line. However, being open to people who aren't there with us in that belief or there with us in that faith. It comes back to what Chris was saying. You can be a part of this community on the front end, whether you believe this or not. And then we'll walk this journey and answer the questions along the road. Join us along the road. But absolutely, we have to have a reckoning of truth and just saying, we've messed up. We haven't done this. I I support that 100%.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think truth telling is the, the biggest tool we have in our toolbox. And again, I will be open about how there are things about the Episcopal Church that I am not a fan mm-hmm. of. And we are getting to a point where we're starting to tell the truth about our past and our history. It took us until 2006 to officially apologize for the Episcopal Church's role in supporting the institution of slavery. That far too long for that to happen. At least it happened, but it should have happened well before 2006. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now over the past few years, we are like telling the stories about our history in supporting uh, schools that were for indigenous children that force them to believe in Christianity and our roles. And we've ran some of those schools and there is literal blood on the hands of our church because of the things that we, our church has done in the past. Uh, and so we have to be upfront and honest about, yeah, this is our history. This is the baggage that we have. And again, it goes back to the We are trying to follow the teachings of Jesus as best we can, and we know that when there are these big errors that happen, that's because the church is being run by imperfect people. And so we got to be upfront and honest, like, yeah, this is a mistake. I will make mistakes, hopefully not mistakes as big as that, but I will certainly make mistakes. Going back to what you said at the beginning, I am just a person. Uh, there's nothing super special about me. I'm just a person like anyone else. But I hope I I can just be honest about like, hey, like, yeah, these are the mistakes. These are the things that aren't great. But even in the midst of this, there's still something, there's still some core kernel of esoteric truth that draws me to the church and in ministering with other people and seeing that spark of the divine in them that just kind of keeps me going, keeps me, uh, engaged. Uh, and so again, yeah, creating that space where we can just be truth tellers, uh, about, about ourselves and about our church, uh, and say like, yeah, let's, let's be imperfect people together.
0: I love that. I think there has to be a little bit more accountability from the church. I know just to piggyback off of everything that you guys have said, for me, it would have been easier if somebody would have told the truth in my situations. If people would have just admitted wrongdoing instead of fighting it and not telling the truth or just not saying anything at all, you know, that's been a big stance in the church is we're just going to sweep this under the rug and pretend it never happened. But the unfortunate thing about sweeping things under the rug is you end up tripping on them eventually. I think the church has to be held more accountable first and foremost, because so many conflicts could be avoided if, like you said, they would tell the truth and somebody would hold their feet to the fire Now, I'm not saying fire everybody, that's not at all what I'm saying, but there has to be some form of accountability, even if it's just apologies. (laughs) Who would have thought? Just saying, you know, I'm sorry, please forgive me, that is biblical, (laughs) right? And so, you know, going back to these fundamentals that we were taught as children, love your neighbor, do no harm. Those are my two rules that I live by. And those are two fundamental teachings of Jesus, I believe. Anybody have any final words to add?
3: You know, my final word, I just would like to say, if you are a pastor or a minister or are just a human that is wrestling with big questions, you're not alone and you're going to make it through this. And God loves you just like you are, just like you are right now with all your questions that you feel like are wrecking your life. You're okay. You're okay. And you're going to be okay. And you're in the right place. Don't Don't stop the digging. Don't stop the scratching and the itching and trying to find the answers to your questions. Don't stop that because obviously that's part of who you are. And that's part of this process and this season. But the point is that it is a season and you will come out on the other side of it. Um, with something more beautiful, something more bold, something more sturdy to help hold you up in the second half of your life.
2: So, yeah.
0: I love that. Anybody else? And,
2: And I'll just add on to that, that if you go through this digging process, wherever you find yourself, know that you are supported in that. Whether it's that you convert to my denomination of Christianity, or if you become an atheist or agnostic or a Buddhist or whatever it is, you are supported, you are still loved. That does not, where you end up on your journey does not take that away from you. So that is something that is inherent in who you are. And that is someone that is loved and someone that is worthy and someone that I will do my best to support. Uh, So wherever you find yourself on the journey, That is my commitment. I love that.
1: I'd like to add that the term deconstruction has obviously gotten some sort of a negative view because it's all about tearing stuff down. But I'd like to turn it on its head a little bit and say that if you're deconstructing, it's more of a growing up and through. Right. You are asking questions. You're growing as a human. And to keep doing that, keep asking those questions, keep seeking and don't stop many of the deconstruction community has lost a lot but but they've gained so much more in who they are and so there's growth to be had there so try not to think of deconstruction as a negative but instead as a as a positive growth
0: absolutely that's the way i view it because since i've acknowledged that i was deconstructing i've seen massive growth and healing and that's the whole reason i Created this podcast is because I want to make sure that people have resources so that they can grow and they can heal. So, thank you guys so much for everything that you guys said. I loved all of it, and I'm just so thankful to have all three of you in my life. Thank you for listening to the Touchy Subjects podcast. If you would like more information about what we do and who we are and how you can get involved, check out our website, www.letstalktouchysubjects.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Let's Talk Touchy Subjects. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.